All right, today we've got Alec Langson. He is a bud tender, a lead bud tender at uh, Dockside Cannabis in Seattle. So Alec, he's been uh, a cannabis enthusiast for several years. He's been a bud tender for, I think, about five years now. And also, how, how long? Just about, yeah, four, four nice. years. So you're also a medical marijuana consultant. You've got a passion for educating people about cannabis and bud tending. Uh, it's been a great outlet being a bud tender for that. So your goal is to help as many people experience a wonderful plant as possible. And your favorite part about the cannabis industry is changing the perceptions of cannabis skeptics, watching our customers benefit from your guidance is incredibly rewarding. And you're looking forward to developing within the industry to meet new people along the way. Alec, thanks for being back on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely happy to be here. All right. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So we are having Alec Langston back on the podcast from August 2018 during HempFest. You were on a panel with some other folks. I recently ran into you again, which is crazy that you were still at the same place because bud tenders have an amazing amount of turnover. And yet there you are getting yep. promoted, still at the same place. And wanted to um, ask you the same questions, but as it pertains to the pandemic, because you made some interesting comments when I was in the shop last time, just kind of how the whole um, uh, pandemic, I'm trying to avoid the, the corona, I'm trying to avoid the beer virus name. And uh, so we'll stick with pandemic, I guess. Tell me a little bit how that whole thing went down before I get into those questions. Um, like how did how did March roll out for you? Because we were deemed an essential business uh, right off the bat, and you saw a bunch of people rolling in and basically buying everything off the shelf. Kind of tell me how that whole thing went down. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, when that when like quarantine right before that happened, and we didn't know if we were going to be open, I worked two weeks straight. I took shifts at different stores. Like we just had to have as much coverage as possible because there was a line out the door every single day. And um, just managing people's time in the store was the biggest thing because Dockside set a five minute limit to get people in and out as quickly as possible just for the safety of everyone. So kind of my usual thing is, you know, give people as much information as possible, but I had to tone that down to just the essential information. Um, so that first, that first month was very fast paced we're moving product like crazy and i think the customers being more flexible was kind of the big thing that i had to get them to do was just you know not be so set on one or two products to kind of just you know get different things or be open to getting different things than they usually were that was the biggest thing so you kind of had to transition into uh like a transactional facility rather than just helping people like you normally would it was pre-mask i'm assuming and pre-online order uh not requirement but right uh they were suggesting that you order online yeah that was i mean we had our average online orders is maybe like 80 a day that first month and a half it was more like 140 like 150 some days so again like having the staff to even cover those orders in a timely manner that was another difficult hurdle um and then of course making sure the order was correct when they actually got there and that's a whole nother thing um yeah that's it 
So you were seeing anywhere from 50% increase to doubling in the amount that people were buying. Do you feel that what they were buying was meant for immediate consumption? Or do you feel like they were hoarding cannabis like toilet paper? I think some people were hoarding it for sure. Because I mean, a lot of customers, especially at Dockside, um, you know, they they like a variety of things. And that just increased, you know, they weren't just buying like a couple grams to try. They were buying eights, quarters, halves. Um, they were maxing out on edibles. They were maxing out on everything. And yeah, there was definitely a couple of people that would come in day after day to get as much as possible. Um, Cause they didn't know, like we didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so it was just kind of, it was a hectic time for sure. Were you finding issues from producers finding enough product to be able to put on the shelf? If you sold out and you, you notified those uh, cultivators or, or processors, were they able to then, bring product to you or were they also short on on product yeah they were feeling it they were feeling it for sure so that was the other thing is like a lot of people are set on one or two brands and when those would sell out it was my job to be like hey i know you like this it's not here right now um try this and try this so the biggest the thing that thing that was really difficult so it was july and august actually were all of the the spring harvest for the outdoor and greenhouse people they were gone they were gone they were all sold out and they didn't they weren't prepared for that no one was prepared for all that product to sell out that quickly so july and august we maybe had like 40 percent of what we were supposed to have in the store um so again just reassuring customers like they can be flexible that they have to be flexible and kind of just trust us trust us to suggest the right things was building that trust was a difficult hurdle i think mm. so normally i wait to ask your crystal ball prediction at the very very end but i think it's uh the timing right now is is good so i'll ask you about the same thing with um you know november kind of being the late late harvest you know everyone's pretty much done things are are in the dryer and we're kind of just waiting for uh you know that that crop to turn into a product do you think that there's going to be the same type of frenzy with buying if there's another lockdown we're already seeing france and paris in particular had a massive congestion where everyone's trying to get out of dodge before their next lockdown and I'm wondering with the fires that we've recently had reducing supply in hemp and cannabis, if that's going to create an even uh, frenzier moment where people stock up even more, if there's a second wave of the pandemic, for example, what does your crystal ball prediction say, even though it's, it's uh, harvest season? I mean, the, the biggest thing about this year is like, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Like it's all kind of up in the air. Like every day could be different from the next, right? Like Wednesday could be busier than a Friday, depending on what's going on. Um, and I think the biggest thing too, is the people who are working from home, that's who we're seeing the most of, right? They come in like weekly basis maybe, and then they stock up. Right. And throughout the summer, when some people still had unemployment, that's, you know, people were still buying a lot then um what's gonna happen with that i mean again i think it's just up in the air we take it day by day there's no like set this will be this um, 
everything's up in the air. You just mentioned like Wednesday could be the busiest day of the week when we all know that Fridays between the hours of three and five is when a third of all edibles are sold throughout the month is that short period of window every week on a Friday. But with the pandemic, how has buying behavior changed um, with regards to the timing of it? Is there, is it still Friday afternoon or are you just seeing random times with the majority of people working from home? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is people are not going off their like normal schedule anymore. They're going off what, what is happening in the world around them. You know, they're trying to gauge, you know, what's not only the safest, but the opportune time to come in. So this week, Monday, Tuesday, we're super busy. We're super busy because, you know, shit's been going down Seattle, you know, like people are kind of on edge with this election that's happening right now. So they wanted to get it, assuming there would be an uprising or election interference or whatever. So they just hoarded it prior to the election. Yeah. Or like another curfew kind of situation. Right. I mean, that was another thing when those curfews happened. Now that was a 10 PM, you know, no restaurant, no bar. Everyone has to go home at 10. Yeah. Well, the first day was at five. It was, we got a text, like an emergency text at the store was like curfews at five. And that was it at five o'clock <laughs> we're at we're at the store and we get these texts and we immediately start calling the owners and just like hey like what do we do and they're like close like go home leave Whoa. so like we had to shut it down immediately so again it's uh, like it's what's happening in the world around us that changes how we do business wow all right i want to ask a couple of questions uh and just kind of recap this uh this whole thing, but frame it in, in the in the terms of the pandemic. So for those who don't know, Bud Tender provides customer service to all patients and customers in medical recreational dispensaries. They use a point of sale system and other technologies to ensure that all cannabis sales are properly tracked, providing information to customers on product choices or consumption methods or compliance and safety, and remaining up to date on all cannabis regulations to ensure compliance. So you are at least four years into it, you've seen a lot. What is your favorite product now? Because I, I, I want to frame this like a lot of people have switched. Topicals are really expensive. And now that they're at home, they've switched to like edibles. So um, what was your favorite product like a year and a half ago? And has that changed? What's your favorite product now? So I think the biggest thing is cost effectiveness and like, you know, cannabinoid content. Um, and that comparison has become a big thing. So during this year, I've been selling a lot more RSO, especially for the people who only do edibles. I'm like, hey, like if you want the most cost-effective edible product, it's activated concentrate. So I've been pushing that and like, yeah, it's not like a delicious gummy, you know, but <laughs> you do a lot more with it, right? Um, so like, I'm still a flower guy. I love my flower and Dockside's a big, um, component of selling clean flour, right? So that's that was kind of my focus then. But but now I'm trying to get people to experiment with a variety of products so they can find the most cost effective and efficient, you know, um, again variety of products to get their needs met. Um, so kind of just gauging everyone's um, how how comfortable are people with experimenting is kind of a new thing for me, I'd say. Um, yeah, I just picked up 25 grams of RSO myself. 
uh, for that same reason. Like if I'm going to do an edible, it's going to be RSO, even though it tastes like dirt for the most part. So what's the number one product that you're seeing customers buying right now? Not necessarily your, your uh, recommendations or influence, but what's like the number one thing flying off the shelf? I think basically larger packs of joints, like big, like, you know, 10, 20, 30 packs of joints. Um, Cause people just want that convenience as well. Convenience is a big thing. Um, so just, and again, like more, I guess people, a lot of people come in and say, Hey, I want only sativa stuff because they don't want to be depressed, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's another challenge for me. Cause especially in July and August, we were super low on any sativa labeled things. So I kind of had to play around with that and be like, Hey, just cause it doesn't say sativa on it doesn't mean it's going to be sleepy, you know, stuff like that. Um, so uh, yeah, again, I think the number one, number one product is probably like bigger packs of joints and then higher um, concentrated edibles, basically. But and what's your go-to? Max, people are maxing out on edibles. Like every yeah. time they're doing the full pound limit, whatever it is. So, Wow. And your, your number one go-to, what is it that you're, that you're finding yourself picking up most of the time? So what I've started doing myself too, is I've been trying to take like a daily dose of high CBD products. Um, I utilize Fairwinds a lot. Fairwinds um, does a good job in terms of including every type of plant compound you could want. And then in convenient, like extended release capsules too. And all these capsules, they have different things. You can do AM, you can do PM. There's some for body pains, there's some for anxiety. Um, And that's been another thing is like, hey, I know you're used to like, you know, this one specific genetic, but hey, maybe you try this tincture out and you can kind of supplement your use with that. Um, so I've been pushing that a lot just for like a consistent um, dose, I guess. Yeah. Fairwinds is one of the, the top two brands, I think, between Green Revolution and, and Fairwinds. They kind of hold the number one spot for me in Washington. And yep. they just have that that trusted brand for me. They've been around forever. Um. So like you, you kind of been uh, focusing on selling the right product for the right person. So a lot of this is boiling down to knowing the patient needs, knowing your cannabinoids and terpenes and knowing your grower and like what's on the shelf. Sometimes you're sold out or whatever. Um, And that's the other thing is like until two weeks ago, we didn't have anything on display zero display no flour no edibles no nothing on display because we wanted to reduce the time that people were in the store and we wanted to stop people from like gathering and breathing on each other right um so that was another challenge it's like people come in they do a, they do a 360 and be like where where's the wheat like where what's that what's where is everything and i'm like i'm the menu look talk to me i'll make it happen so that's been another hurdle is building trust in the individuals, you know, that usually like to browse around and make their own decisions is like, trust me to help you make your decisions and other things. So we kind of talked on a, a touched on a little bit um, before about trying to get people in and out within five minutes and, and making it more transactional. And so since the pandemic, have you been trained differently? And how were you able to recommend or choose the right products in such a short period of time? Um, I mean, what I tell people when they come in is like, give me a couple keywords and let me run with it. Like, 
sativa indica pre-roll edible like just give me some keywords i'll go grab some stuff i'll bring it back i'll maybe give people like three or four options and then describe them all and then let them choose from there and usually people are like okay this is enough options for me i'll take this and then they're out and then of course there's some that want to see more and more and more and we kind of just had to politely remind them hey like there's a pandemic going on. Maybe we should be more efficient about this, right? Um, and that's definitely calmed down a little bit. Like the first couple months were really edgy about that. Um, it's kind of more relaxed now in a way. So I'll take more time with people that need it, but it's about efficiency at the end of the day. Do you feel like most people want to order online and not deal with being in the store for a long time and asking all those questions? How have the numbers changed from online ordering and walk-in year over year? Uh, where Where is it the numbers at for online ordering and walk-in stores on the average day? Is it um, I think, I mean, the biggest thing about DocSize, we offer 10% off every time you order online. And I tell literally everyone that because you save money, it's efficient. I make sure and tell people, hey, you can still ask questions when you get here. You're not necessarily committed to what you order. Like it'd be cool if you did that. But um, I mean, we're customer focused at the end of the day. and We just want to make people happy. So whatever that takes. But um, and the efficient thing about online ordering, too, is like you can actually see everything. When we didn't have anything on display, you could look at the whole menu put a nice big order together and then pick and choose from there. Um, so yeah, I mean, online orders have increased. I'd say they're probably like 25, 30% of what, um, of the daily sales we have. Um, so yeah. I've noticed in Washington, we kind of go out and we buy what we want when we want it. Right. So it's not, we don't see kind of the, the huge waves. It's just like people just go in there because it's convenient. And right. I think we're maybe the most normalized state when it comes down to um, price and convenience are the main factors for traditional buying behavior. I think cannabis is picking that up pretty quick in Washington. So you seeing the amount of people um, relatively the, the same amount of walk-ins or are they kind of coming in and, and going online What's the walk-in traffic like? Yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely still, it's definitely still steady. It's definitely, I'd, I'd say like now, like in the summer, it was less for sure. It was less for sure. Now it's kind of going back to normal where, yeah, we definitely have a lot of walk-ins. The thing about Dockside too is we're the most highly reviewed shop on Google. So we actually get a lot of out-of-town people because they land and then they immediately look up weed shops and we're one of the first ones that pops up. So some of our days, like half of the people are, are traveling. They're from out of town. They're either staying for a couple of days, like we're their first or last stop. Right. Um, so that's been a huge influence too, especially this last month was there was a lot of people traveling. I think they were just trying to get out of, they were just trying to get out of their normal routine um, and get out um, from wherever they were. So that was, that's been a huge thing for us too. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, a guy I know that's going to come up from LA for a, a birthday party. I'm like, why would you pick Seattle if you're right. in LA, especially, you know, in the winter time, but um, yeah, we still do kind of see some tourism, but not all that much, but when they do come into the store and they ask you about a particular product, I'm curious, um, 
I mean, there is an importance of bud tenders, right? So uh, it's been said that those who spend more per week on cannabis and consume more frequently have a higher opinion of bud tenders and follow the recommendations more often, and which is significant because there's a lot of markets uh, as much as that have three quarters of their sales come from those types of users. And so wondering if you can kind of quantify how important bud tenders are to cannabis brands, even like even more so now that they're being forced to go online without interacting with you first. How have those sales changed, especially with uh, disposable income? Like there's a lot of people who don't have jobs and they were only given $1,200 one time. Are, are people shifting their preferences to something cheaper? And, and how have your referrals adjusted? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing a cannabis company can do to build trust in both the consumer and the bud tenders is transparency. Like, tell me about your grow. Tell me about what pesticides you're using or not using, right? Um, and transparency is that. So even once people order something online, I'll tell them about the product before they get it. And I think just a bud tender communicating that knowledge is what, is what builds trust, right? And after they come in on a weekly basis a couple of times, they realize, hey, these people actually know what they're talking about. You know, it's not just this is fire, buy it. You know, it's, it's about the facts. It's about the information that we get from the producers and communicating that is what's, is what builds that trust. So you're saying that when somebody buys it online, you'd walk up and you'd make an offhand comment about what they bought, whether it was good or bad, or, or if there's an alternative and you just kind of make that familiar. That's what I asked. I'm like, Hey, are you familiar with all these products? Do you have any questions about them? Um, and, and that's you know, very traditional. If like whenever you go to a pharmacy, they ask the same questions. Have you ever used this? Do you have any questions about whatever pill you're buying or, or whatever the pharmacy is, is selling you? Right. Very similar. Yeah, exactly. And like with cannabis too, it's like when you were talking about the waves earlier, like when we were super low in July and August, people, people come in like, hey, where's this? Where's this? I haven't seen this in a while. And what I started telling them was, hey, canvas plants, eight to 10 weeks, just to grow, just to grow. And then you have to process, you have to package, you have to do all that after it. And a lot of people did not know that. Mm. They didn't know that it was really that labor intensive. They were kind of taken aback. Um, and that's why I tell people, I'm like, hey, this ain't a grocery store. This ain't Safeway. You can't just get your cocoa puffs every time you come in. You got to be a little bit more flexible. So also just providing that information about the industry kind of gets people more uh informed yeah hmm. that's good stuff all right i'm moving along here about um bud tenders are kind of the gatekeeper to the billion dollar cannabis industry um so it looks like uh, BDS Analytics, they tracked over a thousand cannabis brands producing over 45,000 unique products in a 12 month span. Colorado only had 274 brands producing 11,000 products, while Oregon had 431 brands making 10,000 products. So some retail stores, they see uh, a lot of products offering only just a handful of farms, but many have a, a stock of many, many companies. And so um, you guys could have somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 different products in each store locations. 
And so wondering how does a customer wade through all those thousands of products and arrive at a possible choice, especially, you know, right now when they might not feel comfortable hanging out in a store. Right. Right. Um, and again, that comes to efficiency and it's a bud tender's responsibility to ask the correct questions, you know, like, how do you want to feel? Like, what are you doing when you're using, right? Like, are you at home? Well, yeah, they're at home. <laughs> they're at home right now. Um, um, but like, basically, yeah, what is the vibe you want? You know, what is, what's the, um, you know, what's the end goal of this product? And then I asked, like, before I even grab product, I asked like five or six questions because I'm literally just trying to get to know what the end goal is for that individual. And then from there, I can kind of hone in on, hey, is it this genetic? Is it this edible? Is it this tincture? Like whatever that is. So again, just a bud tender asking the correct questions and hopefully the customer has good responses, then go from there. What compels you about Fairwinds? And why would you recommend, not, not just Fairwinds, but what, what compels you about a product or brand to recommend it to customers? You said transparency. Transparency is kind of the biggest one. Um, I mean, Fairwinds, for example, it's all in-house production. Um, so it's controlled from seed to sale. That's a big thing. Um, like I make an effort to try as much as I can and learn as much about the products as I can before I sell it. Um, so having that knowledge and communicating it compels me to sell it. So again, that's transparency. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, it's about approaching each individual differently to their needs, right? So at Dockside, I'm comfortable with 99% of the products there, right? Like, and budget is another thing. It's like, okay, what's your budget? I can get you the best thing for that number, right? Um, so what compels me is just consistency and um, yeah, the individual's needs. That's it. Are you seeing that uh, the, the budget is even more of an impact now with a lot of people being furloughed, laid off um, without a job? Are you seeing disposable income impacting the, the purchasing behavior even more? Because yeah. I, I want to know, like, the loyalty rewards and, and repeat sales are important. But I feel like they're going to do that because they don't have as much money and they don't want to be in the store. So I feel like the pandemic is more of a culprit for online sales than the discount. And so I'm, I'm wondering what's driving that. Is it, is it people's discretionary income is, is a lot lower or is it the loyalty rewards and, and online sales that are driving repeat sales? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, no matter what, like, I mean, we have eights ranging from like 12 to 60, right? So depending on your budget, you could be happy with anything in that range. Um, I think a lot, yeah, a lot of people, because um, when you buy bulk, you get like a little bit of a price per gram discount too, right? Just from the from the producer. So I, I if someone really likes something, I'm like, hey, get as much as you can get as much as you can because it's not going to be here. Like it's not going to be here for that long. So kind of just being straightforward with customers about how much money they do have to spend on this um, 
is a big thing. And, um, and yeah, just again, giving people all the opportunities to save money is what I do every day. Are you signed up for the rewards program? Are you ordering online? Have you thought about trying this company instead because it's a better value for that? You know? What about uh, mishaps? Like you've probably seen a lot of, of uh, other stores that turn the packaging around so they can read the, the THC percentages on the back. And so the branding just gets totally thrown out the window. I'm wondering with, um, there's a lot of companies that spend a lot of money for production and marketing and packaging. And so we're still seeing some stores displaying that product turnover so the bud tenders can see the strain name and potency and testing results on the back. So that would be considered a massive blunder in any traditional retail out yet and let a lot of it is being dismissed because it's a nascent industry. So similar to the packaging being turned around, what other mishaps have you seen recently? Um, well, I guess, I mean, cause well, for, for the majority of the year, again, we didn't have anything on display. So there wasn't really, there wasn't as much necessity in branding importance, you know, cause you know, when people walk in normally, well now at least like they come in, they see all the flower, they see all the flower packaging and maybe they're drawn to one or the other based on what the packaging looks like when we didn't have anything on display it didn't go off branding. It went off my opinion about what I thought the customer wanted. So like the branding wasn't even, wasn't even a question. It wasn't even thought about for most of this year. Um, and I, well, on that note too. So Dockside did a little uh, marketing thing in September. We, um, we had these back to school pamphlets that kind of broke down growing processes, testing processes, and just gave people more of an insight about the industry. Um, my favorite thing to show people was every, every test batch was it's one bud out of five pounds, right? So that was another thing that I would communicate being like, hey, maybe that THC percentage is not super important because this is how it's tested. So I think, again, just drawing people to the correct information so they can make an educated decision. That was that was a thing. You've seen uh, delivery kind of drive a lot of sales in places like California. A lot yeah. of people are getting that delivered rather than going out and getting it themselves. So I'm wondering with a lot of restaurants adding touch screens for ordering, how the future with vending machines and online orders, the touch screens, the delivery, all of that, how are brands going to differentiate or stand out without bud tender recommendations? Right. How's, how's that world going to look like? Oh, man. So yeah, that's been another thing this year is like a lot of people have called and been like, Hey, can you deliver this? Like, I don't want to leave my house because like people were scared. Right. So mm -hmm. I got that question all the time. Um, and I think like that is going to be a necessity coming coming going forward in this industry how can a brand stand out um i think it's gonna be um man somehow like all somehow providing all the information i can through a web-based ordering system right so like let's say you want 
uh, Royal Tree Middle Fork, right? So you click on that, right? And then it should come up with like the genetics, the growing practices, it should come up with the test results, the size availability, um, maybe a direct link to the grower um, so they can provide the information. Um, and I think what would be really cool to see is somehow live web-based bud tending where like maybe me at the store, I have specific days where I am just on the computer talking to people. Like that would be insane. That would be so cool. I can't even like think about how that would work, but that would be cool. So Sean Kemp's new uh, rec shop outside, there's a mural. And if you use your phone and you, you, you go over that, certain areas will, uh, through this app um, that's being developed by Scott McKinley of uh, Dab Roast and Level 5 Interactive, that'll pop up this, um, this app on your phone to give that same type of information. So it's not quite, you know, the, the virtual reality where, you know, Princess Leia is, is, is a little figure or whatever. We're not quite there yet, but it is an interesting concept to where you could take your phone, hover over, you know, whether it's newspaper, magazine, uh, a mural on a building, or a QR code on the computer and have somebody like Alec at Dockside pop up and give that information. Um, I would think that would make a dramatic impact and definitely be a differentiator on uh, branding for sure and get that same kind of personalization. Right, and yeah, I think, I think like what this all comes down to is an individual who uses cannabis, if they are serious about their use, then they have the responsibility to educate themselves too. They can't just rely on, you know, the people who work in the industry, like, yeah, it'd be nice. But I think there's so much information. There's so much, there's so many things that aren't known about cannabis to the general public that um, it's just a lot of information to get through. So as an individual consumer, taking the effort to look up your products, look up your brands, you know, figure out what you think is important as an individual and then going from there. So. so you've been, have you been at Dockside for all four years? No. So I have about 18 months at Dockside and I worked at Origins Cannabis for about two years. Okay. I was in West Seattle, down Soto now. So you, you still have outlived the average. So according to business intelligence platform, headset uh, in terms of the data that they collected in Colorado and Washington state, it showed that 30% of bud tenders had a turnover. They left their job during 12 month period. Gotcha. So um, we found that turnover was extremely, extremely common and often happened before new hires, new hires could even settle into their workplace. There's also a lot of turnover spikes that tended to follow busy seasons like the summertime Right. So what's, what's your trick to outliving the average employee and, and how could uh, a business establish a standard operating procedure for new employees to stick around as long as you have? Um, I mean, for me personally, I'm in this industry because I believe in this plan. I believe it can help a lot of people. I think it can change lives. I think it can help this entire world if, um, if the right people are behind it. So I'm in it for the long haul. And that's why I'm committed. Um, I mean, I was, I didn't have between origins and dockside. I had a lot of time where 
I didn't have a job and I had to dig into my savings because I was looking for the correct position. And that's why I ended up at Dockside. And that's, I've flourished so much there because they trust me and they know that I'm passionate. Um, cannabis retail is a very intense, fast paced environment. And because the general public is kind of new to cannabis retail, I think that's where a lot of friction happens is um, a bud tender communicating to a customer all the necessary information in a timely manner, especially this year. That is, I think, what people get so stressed out about. And that's probably why there's a lot of turnover. Um, yeah. Does that affect um, growth? I mean, so if, if someone comes in and they're expecting a product to be on the shelf and it's not, that's one thing because they can always go to their trusted bud tender. But if their bud tender isn't there, is that going to impact growth? I think in some ways, yes. Um, the beauty of the cannabis industry, I mean, like, I think a lot of people that work at Dockside, they've worked in other cannabis jobs, either processing or bud tending. So I feel like sometimes, um, 502 retailers have, you know, strict expectations of what sales should be, what ADS should be. And if those aren't met, then maybe there's some friction there. And that's why people bounce around. But I mean, a couple of us at Dockside, we've had multiple positions at multiple 502 operations. So I think, does that affect growth? Not necessarily. Um, but it, it just comes down to the individual at the end of the day, like how passionate are they? Are they committed to this industry? Are they just in it for the discount? That's kind of the differences there. Hmm. What are some, uh, some technology or tools that um, aside from, you know, some kind of virtual reality tool, is there anything else that could help people make decisions on, on recommendations or get, in front of a bud tender before they make a decision either technology that exists yet or, or doesn't like what what is some kind of ideal technology to help people make that recommendation in an age where there is delivery and online ordering and they can't or don't want to get in front of a bud tender so that's a tough that's a tough question um I think like maybe what I recommend to people to, what I focus on a lot, especially for flower is genetics, right? Like maybe we don't have blue dream. Do we have a blueberry genetic? Yes. Do we have a haze genetic? So for example, I'll tell people to go to seedfinder.com so they can look up the family trees of those genetics. And that's just one part of it. Like what do these genetics do? Like what is the terpene profile based on who you are? how is this going to affect you? Right. Um, so I think maybe some sort of database where people can input what they've had before, how they've responded to it. And then from there, maybe that database can recommend similar products, similar genetics. Um, so they can move forward with their use. And the tough part is that requires people to provide that input, provide that information. And not, not everyone cares enough to do that. Um, but yeah, maybe just some sort of 
virtual weed assistant, like a butler, like a weed butler, but on the internet somehow. So although delivery might take away, uh, you know, some, not sales, but interactions and recommendations, uh, I think that it's probably going to be um, pushed forward. Whereas, you know, the whole marijuana lounge thing has definitely been sidetracked. There's absolutely no movement on that right now. People uh, in the House and Senate are not interested in um, debating on whether or not people should get together inside of a, a, a cannabis cafe. Right. So um, do you think that's going to pass this year? Do you think that'll get fast tracked for delivery in Washington state? I mean, fingers crossed. I hope it is. I think it'll open up a new avenue. I mean, at least what I would like to see is maybe delivery specifically for medical patients, people that can't risk leaving their house. They are not, they're disabled. Maybe they physically cannot go and leave. So like, and that would take some pressure off the designated providers who come down to the store too. Cause a lot of things that happen with a, when a designated provider comes down to the store, I have to be very specific about what I ask, what those patients' needs are. And sometimes the designated provider knows, sometimes they don't. So maybe at least a like starting out with delivery specifically for medical patients that aren't able to come in, I think would be like a good, you know, test run to see how it would do for the average consumer. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few other laws in Washington that have kind of been, uh, you know, pretty funky banning CBD in August of 2018. And then one of them that failed was um, reducing concentrates to 10%, which would, you know, pretty much eliminate that whole category because it's no longer a concentrate. I would undercut 40% of the industry, which is insane. I, I think the edibles market would have been impacted by 70% when another law changing, you know, the shapes and colors saying that it was too attractive to children. All of these laws are, are pretty crazy and can impact a lot of businesses. Um, but one of them that directly impacts you would have been the um, requirement to uh, be part of a union. Did that make its rounds with uh, within the bud tender community of having to unionize and um, being part of a union? I mean, it was it was talked about. It wasn't really ever set in. I think um, I think Have a Heart, well now Cannabis Story, they were the first people to introduce a union in the cannabis industry, which I I think is amazing. Um, would it provide some protection to us? I think so. Um, I think the number one thing is, I sort of hesitate to say this, but the, I, it's true. The people that make these laws, they don't know anything about weed. They know they know laws, they know sales, they know that, right? They don't know anything about this plant and how it actually interacts with the community, right? And again, like, like convincing skeptics about the positive impact of cannabis, that's why I'm there, right? So the Cannabis Alliance, for example, they work as an intermediary to try and provide the lawmakers that information. Um, so I think, I think that is going to be important moving forward is just educating, educating on up, educating the people making the laws about what this industry is and what people care about in it, and then move forward from there. 
What else can the industry do or companies, what can they do to try and make sure that employees don't walk out the door? Because I think that's part of, of unionizing is adding benefits to, right. to bud tenders. So what's, uh, what's something that companies and the industry can do to try and limit the amount of turnover? I mean, I think fair pay, fair pay is the number one thing. I mean, all the bud tenders were on hourly, right? Um, Dockside, for example, they offer health benefits, health insurance, um, this year, our PTO rate increased. Um, so instead of one hour per 40 hours, it's 1.5. Um, so just supporting the individuals with those things and operating like like, uh, like any other company, like Amazon would or Best Buy would or any of that, right? Um, I think a lot of companies kind of get by on like, hey, you get 40% off weed isn't that enough? Right. Um, I think a lot of companies just get by doing that, but I think that's, that's not enough. It's, it's a real job and it's a difficult job. And I think recognizing that for each company is going to be important. What if companies implemented team icon an acronym? Uh, it's an acronym that I, I coined <clears throat> with the exception of being paid well and promoted team icon is if an employer trusts you, empowers you, appreciates you, mentors, keeps you involved, challenged, and on a mission. So if companies were to implement Team Icon, essentially you would be in a position where you would be able to be paid well because that would just happen naturally as well as whatever promotion they wanted to throw at you. So if a company trusted, empowered, appreciated, mentored, involved, challenged, and kept you on a mission, would that be enough to keep you around? Yeah, I think, I think absolutely, absolutely like, a company being like telling each individual that they are important, that we care about you, that we care about how you do here. Um, and that's why I like working at Dockside so much is because I know that that company has my back. I know that my feedback from the ground floor is heard. Um, so, and I think, I think that's what a lot of companies can do moving forward is just putting more trust in their employees and allowing them to flourish. Cause if you, I mean, if you just, you know, shove ADS down our throat every day, it's not going to be that fun, right? It's, we're going to be stressed out about it. And it's like, at the end of the day, that's not my goal, you know? Um, so yeah, I think just empowering your employees, making sure they know that they're important and that they matter and reflecting that in their practices. Yeah, back to the essential employee, rather than being disposable and being actually essential, you got to kind of put actions behind those words in order to differentiate the fact that you're disposable. Right, exactly. And that kind of comes with care and that whole thing of, of Team Icon. Um, are, are companies like Dockside, are they ramping up employment? This kind of feels like the eye of the storm before any you know election results happen before... Right. Uh, you know, any second wave, if, if a second wave happens, um, what's happening right now? Are, are companies with harvest season taking advantage of that and putting as many products on the shelf as they can? Cause it's about to be green Wednesday coming up before Thanksgiving, another big seller uh, next to 420. Uh, what's, what's happening behind the scenes? Yeah. I mean, so our, we have brought in multiple new producers across all different price points in terms of edibles, flour, the whole deal. So we've expanded our inventory a lot over the past couple of months. And that's just 
yeah, again, to just provide more security and having enough products to make everyone happy. Um, so I think our weekly deliveries have increased in the past two months um, for every product range. Because um, when when we were almost out of product for those two months, though, that was like the most hectic. Because every, every time someone would ask me a question, I'd be like, no, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. So providing, again, just, just increasing the amount of deliveries and variety of producers, um, that's what we've done in our store to assure that we have the inventory that's necessary. And is that going to shift as we get closer? Because I know that I really cut back on what I was um, burning, what I was, the consumption method of, of joints or blunts or whatever. I was going more towards topicals, I mean, tinctures, and um, I guess I wasn't doing edibles, but mostly just tinctures, I suppose. So are those products going to be shifting? Are you guys going to be giving more shelf life or shelf space to those products that did really well last March? Um, so have you guys shifted the way that you guys um, store products or how, do, how has that been working? I mean, we've definitely, we've definitely had to become more efficient in our inventory space um, at Dockside Soda, at least the whole back wall with drawers, there's about like 30 drawers that are committed to flour now. We have like four, about four new shelves just for inventory of edibles, right? So we've definitely had to change the organization of the store to compensate for the capacity we're at now. Um, we have two people doing receiving so they can get everything organized, stocked, ready to sell. Um, so yeah, we've just ramped up how we do inventory um, just because, just as a reaction to how this year has been. Um, that's it. Yeah. Driving sales. Is that going to be on the um, driving sales for, for the less, sold products like the topicals as people reverted to edibles and less topicals, maybe as a result of working from home and or a shift in disposable income or lack thereof, it's a more expensive product. So is that on the burden of the store or the manufacturer to reduce price to increase sales? And is that something that you guys are looking at for things like, you know, topicals that haven't sold well over the last year? Yeah. Um, yeah. For instance, we did bring in a new, we brought in a new topical manufacturer, Wild Mint for a bit. They had a pretty good range of products. They had really high CBD content for the price too. Um, I definitely sold well for a while. So I think, I think basically this year is what we've had to do is not just rely on the one or two companies we usually have. We've had to actually bring in a couple more to fill the gaps. Um, at least topicals have a, pretty damn good shelf life so that's that's amazing you know we don't really i don't really think about that a lot at least um but yeah providing uh yeah just again making sure we have a range of companies that can provide the needs has been been a big thing for us any other trends or anything else that you've seen that we haven't discussed that uh you want to talk about before we wrap this up uh man i think um I think really at the end of the day right now, like prior pandemic, it was a buyer's market. It was a buyer's market. Now it's a seller's market. Like demand has increased so much that um, at least, at least 
as to dockside, we're not ordering a lot of single grams of flour anymore because a lot of them will sit. A lot of them will sit for a long time because people are buying so much bulk. Um, and that's somewhat of a blessing and a challenge because I'll, I'll have to do a little more salesmanship to like convince people, yes, this eighth is worth it, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, man, at the end of the day, like I'm there to help people and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help each individual based on what I think they need or what they think they need and provide a good experience. Um, and I think this year especially has made me a lot more compassionate, um, made me a lot more compassionate to each individual's struggle, you know, um, just, just to provide them the relief they need. Yeah, I've, I've had to be a lot more patient with people and uh, show a lot more, um, I guess, empathy. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I have to r reduce my, my uh, quickness to, to be impatient with some folks. Um, right. Just because it's, it's a tough time for a lot of people, you have no idea what they're going through. And so to understand that and be more compassionate, like you said, is, is important. So uh, if not that, I'll just smoke more, more cannabis. And that always helps too. <laughs> That's a good, That's a good point. <laughs> so, uh, Alec, where can people uh, reach you at? If they got any questions, they can obviously go down to Dockside in Soto, Seattle, Washington, but is there any social media that you want to, uh, throw out there? Um, I make an effort not to be on social media. <laughs> That's smart. Possible. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm at Dockside. Wednesday through Sunday, um, people can always come in and talk to me and ask me questions. Um, they can call the store, see if I'm there. But no matter what, um, I trust my coworkers too. If I'm not there, I think people can talk to anyone at Dockside and feel welcome and friendly and get the right things they want. Um, yeah, man, that's it. Yeah, I like the little museum you guys got in there too for multiple reasons. I like the idea of having a museum because there's a tax write-off for that. So that whole portion that that whole thing sits in is there's zero taxes on that whole square footage. So love that concept. Plus it's obviously good for uh, tourism to kind of come in and see really old tinctures and uh, little medical bottles and all that old, uh, the tooling and everything. So it's really cool to see. And uh, everyone in there has always been uh, helpful, friendly. So yeah, good shop. We'll have all those links in the show notes. So I want to thank my guest, Alec Langston with uh, Dockside Co-op. Uh, he's been in there for at least four years and is now a medical marijuana consultant. So whether you got rec or medical questions, go down to Soto and see Alec. All right, I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. 
I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.